Welcome to Front and Center, from political battlefields to cooperative playing fields, where awakening people from all sides come together to help write our new story and build upon America's sacred purpose, unity and diversity, while expressing their individual freedom in the context of sacred community. Now, here are your hosts, Michael Maxenny and Steve Behrman. front and center, from political battlefields to cooperative playing fields. Hello again, I am Michael Maxenny. Today, my partner Steve and I are having a wonderful conversation with uh, our guest, Nancy Vogel, uh, and all leading to this topic of how do we get government on the side of people so that we can help create a more beautiful and just world that our hearts know is possible, uh, and answer that question of what America do you want to live in? Uh, but before we go on, let me hand it over to Steve again. Uh, we're going to talk in this section, though, about genderqueer and about the use of pronouns. Uh, so, Steve, please introduce Nancy again, if you would, and let's get started. Okay, our guest today is Nancy Vogel. Uh, to be very brief, she was a founding member of one of the first feminist rock bands in the 70s, Bay Area women's music scene. She's been, uh, she worked with James and Grace Lee Boggs, uh, who are political uh, visionaries and activists out of Detroit. She's been involved with uh, the California Department of Education and Youth uh, as a youth service director. She's worked with volunteers and kids. Today she is uh, on the advisory board for the Common Sense Party. She's uh, seized from a, I think, a higher and deeper political uh, perspective. And uh, she's also been involved as a leadership coach for Sonoma County's LGBTQI support group. And so this is a perfect segue for us to talk about uh, genderqueer uh, pronouns and, and this uh, maybe no, the controversy that's emerged about, again, um, how people want to be called, uh, this new regendering that people are going through, and all of the strange projections being put on it. So let's Let's get down to basics and maybe begin with your own story. Well, what's, what's ironic and interesting, I guess I'll just capture it as interesting, is that even though I've been in this community, I, you know, I guess since 69, I guess, 68 or 69, um, this segment is in a way the most problematic because... Um, because it's the, in, in a way, it's the most treacherous water. Because when something is the newest, uh, the newest idea, the, new, the newest um, awakening yeah. or uh, consciousness opening or the newest um, idea, I think it, it, um, it engenders the most passionate responses. And so, what a lot of people are experiencing right now is uh, reticent to even have these discussions publicly because they're so easily misinterpreted 
they're so easily emotionally charged that someone's listening can be maybe not as rigorous. And so something is said or interpreted in a certain way that, that can then cast dispersions on that, on that person. So I think that it, that I just want to acknowledge that this is an extremely controversial subject and that, um, and that it is challenging to have kind of a bilateral view of it because, and Steve, you probably have heard, heard this too. I mean, you know, amongst your community down there. Um, but I think it's really important to talk about. And so I'm glad we're bringing it up. I want to say that I, I think the whole issue of gender queer, the book, I think is very similar in a way to how it's being used. It's being weaponized by a tool of the right um, uh, to spark uh, obsessive fear and, and anxiety and, and petrifying um, future uh, Armageddon, you know, to, to Christians. And so I think it also is like anything, when something is repressed, what happens? The energy builds, the energy builds and the energy builds, and then it has to explode. And so, I mean, I, I'm coming right now to Martin Luther King saying, and you guys maybe can help me on this, um, when evolution is not possible, revolution is necessary. Do you know, there's a quote like that. It's, it's, that's not right, but it's something like that. And I, and I would say that that's a little bit what's going on here. Uh, a young person wrote a book about their experience. That's what it was. A young person was writing a book about their experience. I have heard stories, I've read stories that this book can be life-changing to, to some of the young people who might be considering self-harm, who might be considering that they are such an anomaly that they don't deserve to exist. So I'm gonna say straight out, this book has been a life-saving um, event for some young people. When some adults read it, it's horrifying. And you say, wow, why is this in public school? This shouldn't be in public school. If this were a heterosexual book, this would not be in the school at all. And so on the other hand, if the community, can we say that the community needs to have this information accessible to young people so that they don't consider self-harm? And so whether it should be in the public library of the school, I mean, some people say you can get it at the public library. Does it have to be on a school campus? That's a discussion that, that every town could have. And it's a, I think it's a righteous discussion. What is the responsibility of the school and has the school taken over the responsibility for parents who both parents have to work, who don't have the time and the energy in the way our parents did to provide that the cultural awakening to their young people in a nurturing kind of way. And so in some ways people are blaming progressives, liberals, transgender, the conservatives are blaming people for that instead of saying, what culture have we created where we have relegated to the schools, the responsibility that parents used to have the, 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 um, the, the time and the energy to provide to their kids with union wages, with, with living wages, with jobs that were respectable, blue collar jobs that were respectable. If we're taking all of these away and each parent is working two jobs 
in order to pay the rent. I mean, the rent's gone from one third of your monthly salary to sometimes almost three quarters in Sonoma County. It is impossible to live alone in Sonoma County, almost impossible. And so I'm not deflecting the controversy away from this book. I'm putting it in a bigger context because I think it deserves a bigger context. I, I was blown away by the images. I, you know, what can I say? I'm old. I, I was really um, taken aback. On the other hand, I know young people for whom this was a life-saving tool. And so if we would say, let's have some deeper conversations about what it means to be a man, what it means to be a woman, what it means to have a spectrum of behaviors that we can pick and choose from that seem appropriate to us. I mean, some would say, wouldn't it be ideal if a baby is born and it's a baby and it's an adorable baby and it didn't have a reveal party for a boy or a reveal party for a girl and it were just a baby and it, and it, and it could be allowed to grow up having and expressing whatever proclivities seemed appropriate to that little baby. And if it wanted to play with dolls, it would play with dolls. If it wanted to play with trucks, then it would play with trucks. And so we don't have that culture. We don't live in that culture. We live in a culture that is obsessed with, with adults performing and appearing to be the roles that patriarchal capitalism has, has, has defined as appropriate. And so it's complicated upon complicated upon complicated to the 10th degree, because now we have to look at, if we look at transgender, well, I know young women now who feel that they need to transition because they don't identify with anything that it means to be a woman. And so I would say that is exactly what most of us felt as radical lesbians in, in our early 20s when nothing we saw related to anything that we were like. And so I haven't worn a dress in 30 years. I haven't, I mean, a me, a good pair of boots, I'm good to go. And so, so if we have performative demonstrations of what gender means, what are we talking about? And so that's why I say it's complicated upon complicated upon complicated, because is it gender? Is it biology? And we have people who are, are at odds with each other, who aren't speaking together, who have political vitriol, the vitriol about this subject is, is awe-inspiring. And it's, it's, it's frightening. And so I think being able to talk about this issue and talk about how complicated it is and talk about how much it does challenge Christian patriarchy, but we have young people growing up in this culture today that we would like to stay alive. You know, that's a fact. I read the book. I, I got the book and it was really eye-opening. I, I actually love the book. Mm -hmm. Because it was really about somebody as a you know, finding out who they were and being clear about, I like this, I don't like that, I like this, I don't mm -hmm. like that. And uh, there hasn't been any space for people like that. 
Mm-hmm. There's been no space for them to express themselves. Mm-hmm. And on the other hand, you see other you see people who uh, are in uh, you know tr- who are uh, coming from a more traditional background who are going, "What happened to my world? What mm-hmm. happened to my right. world? Right. Where there used to be you know there used to be boys and girls. Now what is this? Mm-hmm. You know, and it's always been there. And then of course there's also the cultural thing. I think that you know it. I think sometimes people want to identify with a group, and they may choose to identify with a group that's not exactly what their what their preference is. In other words, she was somebody. I mean, it was really about finding integrity. That book is it's worth reading for anybody mm-hmm. um, uh, about what it is to find one's own integrity and be able to set clear boundaries of I, I like this and I don't like that. And everybody, I think that that, that people who are uh, conservative libertarians would have to uh, if would have to agree that people should have the the right to live and express themselves the way they choose. Mm-hmm. But it, but the complexity that you're talking about is other uh, you know other aspects of, of the uh, of the, um, the gay community. And, and and heterosexual women's movement, there's all kinds of strange uh, tensions and uh, around that uh, where you know where people are feeling very I can't say what I really feel. I'd like to uh, to thank you, Nancy, for doing a such a good job of framing this conversation, not just our conversation, but the much broader conversation and the complexity to it. Uh, because you touched on, I mean, I, I could go back and take an outline of it, all the different points you made, which were so perfect, that need to be d- drilled down on each one of those significantly, uh, these areas. And what I wanna to touch on is where schools have, have had to take over, Going back to our question of what kind of America do you want to live in? Mm -hmm. What is a more beautiful and just world that our hearts know is possible? When we look around uh, at what has happened, and when we were all young kids, I remember very distinctly being a young teenager, laying on the grass at Seaside Elementary School Mm -hmm. with our hands behind our head, looking at the clouds, laughing, going, boy, when we get to be as old as our parents, those parents were in their 30s, we were laughing, going, wow, by the time we're their age, we'll only be working three or four days a week. Just think of what we can do. Think of the great art, the great music, the great sports, all the beautiful things and great things we could be doing with our time rather than having to work to pay the bills, to put a roof over our head and put food on the table. And now you fast forward 60 years. Mm -hmm. And now that same neighborhood I grew up in where Every single household had an average of two plus kids. Every household but one, my, and it was my household, my mother chose to go to work when I was eight, and she was the only working mom in the neighborhood. Mm-hmm. Everybody else was living very comfortable neighborhood in a brand new track home, two miles right. from the ocean, on That's one right. salary, uh, and... People had nice vacations, everybody was healthy, everybody was happy. We were living great lives. And now that same neighborhood, 60 years later, there's less than one child every three houses. Every household, both people are working 40 plus hours, 45 hours or more a week. 
yeah. to live in a 60-year-old track house right. without their kids. And if they have kids, they're being raised by nannies and others. What have we done? What kind of a world have we created thinking that technology and all this stuff was going to give us this freedom? It's done nothing more but enslave us to becoming slaves to work and to materialism uh, and that. And, and so we've what the point of that is, is that what you said about what's happened is we've handed off the opportunity of a nurturing, caring parents to teach the values to their children, to be there with their kids, to teach them, to teach them the family history, to teach them that, mm -hmm. uh, to teach them good values. Now it's handed off to, to at, at best to the teachers, but at worst and what's most normal is to YouTube movies, videos where the self-interest of those has degraded our culture on every measurable level we have gone backwards, suicides, health, you name it. And uh, I would say that teachers, public school teachers, because I know so many, are doing a Herculean job to provide that emotional, uh, emotional yeah. academic support to these kids. And they're paid pittance and they're treated with such disrespect. Right. The most, they should be one of the most highly regarded right. and respected, but we have, we put all this value on measuring money. Everything's about measurements by money instead of measurements by life and joy and right. happiness. And so what we measure grows and what that's we measure right. is this that's economy, right. GDP, that's and right. that's the, the wherewithal instead of measuring how healthy is our people, how happy are our people. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and what so, are the relationships you know, yeah. that feed them? And, and one last point I want to make before I get off my, my rant in response to your great framing is this issue of proclivities. Uh, and I think one of the things that Gender Queer, the book, did that for and will be do for people, and I really do encourage people to read it, uh, but it was something that I was taught and learned as, as when a dear uncle of mine, uh, when I was 12, came out. So I, since I was 12 years old, I've been around somebody who I've loved dearly who was gay. Uh, and all my life I've had uh, friends that have been gay and I love them. They're just, they're just people like I who were born with a different proclivity. Mm -hmm. uh, and something that is science has brought forth a wonderful piece of, to help us understand this is that in nature, there's all these diverse beings Mm -hmm. that may look one way and may have on the surface certain commonalities, but, but truly are have different chromosomes of the technical terms and different hormones that make people the way they are. One of my dear friends who, who committed suicide, uh, uh, I've watched come out since he was in his mid-20s, early mid to late-20s, and he would say to me many times, Mike, I wouldn't have chosen to be this way. You think I want to put up with all this garbage and shit and treatment if I wasn't this way? Uh, and I, it's so hopefully now that we have some science that people can trust that realizes that nature produces all of these variations and let's accept these variations as as beautiful and unique as all of us. Uh, and, and not try to judge somebody because their proclivities make them to be different, to think of them in any way less than or treat them in any way differently than we would treat 
anyone who's identical to us. Well, the whole uh, appreciation of neurodiversity, that there's a blossoming of neurodiversity, appreciation for it now in terms of uh, personality styles, thinking differently, being on the spectrum. I mean, there again, each, each person can play a role. The best way that someone described it to me was someone who's OCD, has, has OCD. Okay, we would, uh, it's spoken pejoratively now, but let's say um, a thousand years ago, that person was very, very important because they needed to keep the sacred um, traditions alive. They needed to do the, have the ceremony in exactly the same way from generation to generation. That person would be the keeper of the tradition, the sacred tradition. So that was a role that they had to play and it wasn't pejorative, it was exalted. And so when we can look at the different ways that we are in our culture and what gifts we have, then we're living in a place that is gonna allow us to thrive. And my favorite book about this is Leadership in the New Science by Margaret Wheatley. She talks about what goes on in nature. She's a biologist. This is a 24 year old, 25 year old book. She talks and studies what goes on in nature. And then she proves that the systems that men have created over the last couple, well, centuries are antithetical to what allows organisms to thrive in nature. That we've created systems that now are killing us. And so uh, that book was profound for me. It was a really life changer for me. What was the name of that book again? Leadership and the New Science by mm -hmm. Margaret Wheatley. Perfect, thank you. We'll make sure to find a link to that in the notes I think it is. on the show. We'll yeah. make sure to link that in there. As we will, the book Gender Queer, uh, which I heard I an did. interview. Hey, I wanna say that if that book did not have the graphic images, we would not be talking about it. The reason that book was explosive, it, if it were just a textbook and a little book on the shelf that other people told people to read, we wouldn't be having this discussion. It's because it's so graphic and it's well, so and, shocking. And so. also I think because she was a, a, a an artist who- uh, Right. That was her way of expressing it. Right. Had she written the book as a writer, mm -hmm. It would have been 240 pages of text. Yeah. Instead, it's 240 pages of pictures mm -hmm. conveying her story through the images of her comic strip type uh, caricatures, uh, which are very graphic instead of putting it in words. Uh, and, uh, but when I read that, my heart went out to her and my experiences with, with my friend, my Andrew and Tom and, and so many others that I've known in my life, of what they've gone through and it just resonated. And I thought to myself, wow, uh, this book can help hopefully open some eyes to people seeing each other and, and appreciating the beauty what nature has brought forth in all of its diversity and not be threatened by the fact that some flower is a little bit different color than the flower that they are. Uh, I, I mean, Mike, I mean, I will say that it is controversial because because in our own community, conversations about the, the complexity of this is, it, they're challenging to have because oh, yeah. people feel emotionally charged and they feel emotionally positioned. And so it's very difficult to say, what about this? What about? And so the concerns that I think anybody who's has a history in politics, when you look at, at one 
particular event, you see how it multiplies and you see growth and you see social change. I think it's okay to have those discussions and say, it's we're not opposed to anything, but I think to be able to have the discussions is important. And I think that where it gets challenging right now is that many people feel that those discussions are, are um, uh, discouraged and that makes it challenging. Well, and others will take things out of context mm-hmm. and take little sound bites of something to, to make a narrative that can be totally different yeah. than yeah. the intention if it was left in context because yeah. context is everything in communication. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and we have gone away from understanding the need for context and allow people to just take bits and pieces that serve their narrative and their agenda right. and what they want to put forth. That's pretty popular. Yeah, pretty <laughs> and a main way it's done. Uh, transition, though, for a minute. Now, I'd like to, because we don't have unlimited time, and this is such a topic that could go on in to, to, to so many areas. But one of the things that is controversial now and is putting it in the face, and you said it so nicely about when there's something totally new, the, the pushback and the reaction is sometimes extreme. Uh, and this use of pronouns uh, to help the use of pronouns. Let me just leave it there. How do you see the use of pronouns from your perspective? Can you kind of frame that for yeah. us? Well, it's making the invisible visible. I mean, it's make it's shifting perception. And so in the way that almost I don't know, almost every white person in seeing people at the grocery store and they'll say, oh, the fifth person in line. They won't say the fifth person in line with the green shirt. If there's only one African-American, they'll say, ah, the black guy in the, the, you know, he he dropped his wallet. We identify the one who's not the the dominant. Uh, So in the same same way, the word cis is identifying that to be heterosexual is the the water that we swim in. And so instead of only identifying the gays, the lesbians, the transgender, the questioning queer intersex, instead of identifying everybody gets an ID because a cis person doesn't have to have an identity because they're, we are everywhere. Do you see what I mean? So it's a, the, the so dominant. having pronouns then creates equality because that person who hasn't needed an identity because they were white and uh, um, assigned female at birth or assigned male at birth, and that's what they are now. So they don't need any ID, but only the ID of people who aren't that. And that's why pronouns and that's why the term cis came for people to acknowledge that that is my that is my stand that is my identity in a perfect world we would not need an identity i would be me you would be you everybody could be themselves but we don't live in that history right now we don't live in that time in history we live in a time of exposing the dominant that has always been so dominant that you know the old saying how do you explain air to a fish you don't. You have to take the fish out of the water so they they experience no water. And that's the same thing as developing consciousness, is that you won't notice it until you're saying, oh, yeah, I have an identity, too. 
And so that's a that's, great metaphor because you take a fish yeah. out of water, they're going to flop like crazy. Finally, <laughs> hell. Uh, they don't know what air is. They exactly. only know what water is. Right? And, and, and this is so threatening to everybody uh, to, to see those pronouns and the use of it. Uh, would you define what cis is? You know, I'm, I'm embarrassed. I should have looked this up because I know it, it's a Latin word probably. Uh, and, uh, and I don't, you know, I just, everybody uses it. And I, I'm, I'm remiss. Put it in context. Knowing. How do they use it? How's it oh, used? so if, if you're an assigned male, so you came out and the doctor said, oh, Mike, uh, you're a boy. Mrs. Maxenny, you've got a boy, right? And so you were assigned a boy at birth. You grew up and you still identify as a man. You are a cis man. If in fact you um, decided that um, at age, you know, 17, 22, that it, you were misassigned at birth and that in fact you are absolutely positive that you were um, female, then you would not be cis because you would be a transgender or you'd be non-binary or you would have another identity. I think one of the questions that might help spur what that, or one of those statements or the way it's put can stimulate some of the pushback is the choice of words decided versus perhaps realized. Realize is what I should have said. I misspoke. Yeah. Yeah. I but think you have to realize before you make the decision to transition. So yeah, I mean, and, I and, and that's it. one of the things that I thought her experience and Tom's experience and, and Andrew's experience was brought to me is it was something that they through great difficulty came to realize is that this was who they were made mm -hmm. to be. Mm -hmm. They weren't, it wasn't a choice. Mm -hmm. It was who they were. And they finally at, came to peace with this is who I am and are comfortable with it um, as being out of the normal, ordinary, mainstream of that nature produces uh, and recognizing that nature produces all of these, these things right. and they're all equally beautiful and they're all unique in themselves. And I will say that the women's movement, I mean, when I was a kid, I got to be a tomboy and nobody blinked about it. Yeah, so That's girls. Thought got you, to, I thought you were a tomboy. Yeah, girls got yeah. to be tomboys. You were a great softball player in those days too. I know, and I would have been on a team too. Um, so we got to express ourselves, and it was very important for me to do that. And so I found myself early because it was comfortable for me to express myself that way. Boys do not have that in this culture. To be a sissy boy is to be a, a, an anthema to your parents and young men do not have that permission in the ways that girls have had that permission to express their full humanity. Some people wonder right now, if you look at Billy Porter and his beautiful gowns on the award shows, some people might suggest that were this nation more um, enthusiastically accepting of men like Billy Porter, Perhaps men could get up in the morning and wear four-inch heels and a skirt to the office because that's how they feel comfortable. That's what they want. For me, this would be miserable. But <laughs> there are many men for whom that would be a dream come true. 
and we do not afford men in this culture, the burly man image, we do not af afford men that privilege of a boy to grow up with that permission. And I think it's, and I, I think it's interesting to think in the next 10 years, what will it be like? Were we more uh, embracing of alternatives as, as young children are growing up? What will it, what, how will things change about identification? Johnny Weir, the Olympic skater, I think he's done a, a, a great job of helping bring forth to a global audience, or at least an American audience, uh, who watched ice skating to see Johnny oh, uh, yeah. dress, you mm -hmm. know, and just be out there. Yeah. Just like, I'm trying to remember the, the name of the, the guy who came in second place in American Idol, uh, who did a lot to move it forward. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, I, I see a lot of progress where people are, are becoming more and more uh, accessible, but I but it's a long, a long journey. It's, it's I just a long journey right now. Yeah, I just hope it doesn't take as long as it's taken us in this issue of racism uh, to, to move. But we've got these issues and we're being thrown together. Mm -hmm. uh, and all of these things are being pushed upon the dominant ways and cultural mm -hmm. beliefs. And so it seems like for many, what happened to my world? Well, mm -hmm. now it's like, wow, all of these mm -hmm. things are changing yeah. and being brought forth. Uh, and so out of this, I think will come a lot of good, but at the same token, while we're doing this, we've got to get realized what, while we're being focused on these social changes and these cultural right. changes and pitted against each other and, and pitted pit against each other. Exactly. We have to keep an eye on the bigger problem that will give us the time to culturally and, and make our evolution on these personal social cultural levels. As long as we do not allow a, a vision of the world to be uh, taken over by those global corporatists who uh, I refer to as the uh, Hunger Games Society elites who have a vision of, of where humanity should go mm -hmm. that certainly discounts the humanity for almost all. Uh, uh, and uh, so we, we need to not lose sight of that big issue while we work on these personal one-on-one -on -one issues mm -hmm. because otherwise we may wake up and not even have the opportunity yeah. to do that. And the irony is that I would say the far right and the far left have that same exact antipathy towards that world. Mm. But the, each person thinks the other side's going to do it. This race towards authoritarianism and being told, you know, what to do. The left thinks the right is heading there and the right thinks the left is heading there. And it's exactly. either, and it's, and and it's, it's I know, I know. And so if this discussion can help open that up, then that's terrific. And I hope it does. And uh, I know we've been talking for, for a long time and I would love to continue this conversation, but I think we need to, to wrap it. I, hopefully we've sparked some curiosity in people on these different topics. And, and that's the best we can hope for is to plant some seeds and hopefully uh, elicit some curiosity so that people will go much deeper in this and look into their own hearts, uh, look into the mirror. And uh, I forget the song, there's so much, but change begins with ourselves. Uh, mm -hmm. And that's where it goes back to the boxes. One of the things that they close with is change begins with how we act. Uh, 
Jesus talked to the Christians about repenting, which was to change the way you think, because if you change the way you think, you can change the way you act. And it's so much of that is it, it all starts with us. Uh, and we need to do that. But before we close the show, Nancy, your final thoughts? Yeah, my final thought, I thought it would be so perfect, is that I, I was uh, checking this out today. And over and above everything, Jimmy and Grace, here's what they really presented. And it has stuck with me. And it's perfect for this particular show. The principal contradiction facing humanity is the historical tendency to place economic development over human and political development. And that about says it right now because yeah. that's what's happening. So yeah. this was, you know, 1968 or something. And here we are, how many years later? Yeah. Yeah. And that question is absolutely essential to be put on the surface of things. What America do we want to live in? Mm -hmm. What is the world that our hearts tell us is possible? What is that more beautiful and just world? We've got to elevate those questions to the forefront of our discussions so that we can move forward to that more just world mm -hmm. uh, that we want. Steve, final thoughts? Yeah, I mean, that's exactly right. That in that unity and, and you know, bringing left and right front and center, it's really about addressing that common understanding. Uh, we've been hoodwinked by different groups of winking hoods on either side, <laughs> yeah. so to speak. Are you referring to the KKK by chance or, or who else? <laughs> no. Well, no, you have to have a hood to be a hood, you know, the, the sharks and the jets, the two gangs, you know, the, uh, the, two, the two rival gangs that don't care about us but have, have hijacked the conversation. And so I think that that's really an area where if we understand that we are all in, in this together, as, uh, as somebody said several years ago, um, Eleanor Lacane. Eleanor was a, was a, a political activist, and uh, she uh, worked with Elizabeth Warren and was an assistant uh, secretary of state in, in Massachusetts. She said, this is not about this side, about Democrats and Republicans. It's about the oligarchs against everybody else. Mm -hmm. And so if you frame it that way, there's more of a willingness to uh, step out from your fear and, and have this understanding. And as we would say, uh, the golden rule needs to overrule the rule of gold. And on that note, we will wrap this show. And without, and I am going to repeat myself, folks. So uh, if you're watching us on Locals, our Locals platform or Rumble, please do consider becoming a supporter so Steve and I can continue our work. Uh, and if you're watching on YouTube or listening on our audio podcast of Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, wherever you listen to your audio, audio podcast, please subscribe, please like, and of course, please share with your friends and family and other people uh, from political battlefields to cooperative playing fields. It's a long journey to the more beautiful and just world our hearts know is possible. And let's ask that question. What is it? What is the America we want to live in? And I hope you'll ask those questions of yourself and your friends and begin to elevate these questions about what are we measuring? What do we put value on? Uh, and I hope you come back and join us again. Thank you, Nancy. Thank you, Steve. Thank, thank you, Thank you all for watching.